0: Today on Growing Grace, Pastor Ed Ray speaks of a sifting process that Peter went through, and we can expect to go through as well.
1: God is going to use this sifting process in his life and in yours and in mine to remove the sticks and the stones and the ugly things, the hard spots from our life, so that he can use us. This sifting process is not fun. <laughs> I don't like it, <laughs> but it's necessary. Some of you are right in the middle of it right now. God sifts us all. It's part of coming into his kingdom.
0: All now build with hands, and in this place, dwell with man. Sick be and the crippled stand singing high. Of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Great to be with you and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Our series through the Gospel of Luke continues today as we near the end of this great gospel. In Luke chapter 22, we find Judas and his betrayal of the Lord. It's a well-known part of the life and ministry of Christ, but Pastor Ed aims today to go a little deeper into the story and look at how the Lord himself reacted to this terrible breach of trust. We'll also compare that to Peter's denial of the Lord. So with a lot of ground to cover, let's get right into it. Here's Pastor
1: Ed. We're in Luke chapter 22. I'll back up a verse so you'll get the context. This is where we left off last time at the last supper. Likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Then they begin to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves." For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one on me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. But Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And he said to them, we'll stop there. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask that you speak to us now from it, that we might hear and understand and grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the preschool teachers told me that a little boy, she was describing to the class she wanted to be patriotic. And so she said, you know, we should all be happy that we live in this great country where we're all free. And said, little Kenny walked up, and stood in front of the class with his hand on his hip, he said, I'm not three, I'm four. <laughs> we are looking at an interesting contrast here, uh, the betrayal of Jesus and then Peter, who would be one of the <laughs> leaders of the church. At Sarasota, if you go to that battlefield where a lot of British and American blood was shed, by the Continental Army, Brits made their last stand. There's a huge monument there. It's 155 feet tall. It has four sides on each one of the sides at the bottom. There's a niche with the names of the four American generals in the Continental Army that fought there. Giant statues with men on horses. The first one is a figure of Horatio Gates. The second is John Shuler. The third, Daniel Morgan. But the fourth niche has the name of the general but not a writer and most of you who are history buffs know that this is an infamous name in history that this man betrayed his nation, Benedict Arnold. Now for Americans we all understand that but there is a better known traitor that we're looking at this morning, a man who didn't betray his nation or a city or someone Uh, insignificant he betrayed his best friend and his Lord but up against that story is another man who has a defining moment at about the same time and that's Peter and his failure his denial of Jesus Christ so we're looking at a story of failure but of the difference between being a failure and just having made a mistake And coming back to the Lord it's a a beautiful picture from the communion we looked at last time that at this table Jesus has just discussed fellowship what it means to have communion together but then he drops this mom of betrayal in the middle of it now as we jump into the story you'll see it breaks up into three parts the first part is this betrayal 21 through 23 and then the subject of greatness is kind of awkwardly thrown in the middle of this. Who's great in the kingdom of God, 24 through 30, and service. And then this last section about Peter's sifting, his tribulation, 31 through 34. We all have gone through sifting, so this is an interesting study for me. I hope it will be for you. Let's jump into verse 21, where Jesus is speaking Behold the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. I'm sure all the disciples quickly pulled their hands back and back away from the table at this moment. Jesus is giving us an insight into the communion table that we can't find in the other gospels. Over in John it says that John 13:30 that Judas left the table, but we don't know at what point. So Jesus seems to be saying that Peter actually stayed through the communion service, which makes his betrayal all the more insidious, more miserable. So he goes through the communion with Jesus and then he leaves. Verse 22, and truly the son of man, Jesus' title for himself comes from the book of Daniel, the Messiah, goes as it has been determined. It was determined by the foreknowledge of God, the Godhead, before the foundations of the earth, that God the son would come and die as the ultimate sacrifice for people it wasn't a tragedy it wasn't an accident it wasn't by the will of men it was by the will of god he said it happened but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed somebody was going to betray him it did not have to be judas the way i read that that judas chose he chose to take money the love of money over his loyalty to jesus so judas has made his decision. Verse twenty-three. They begin to question among themselves. They're looking at each other, going, "Well, who did this? Is it I, Lord?" We're here in Matthew. This gives us an insight into Judas. He did not look like he was a traitor. Didn't have little beady eyes. You know, eyebrows grown together. They were all wondering if it was even them. They knew they were all capable of it, of denying, of giving Jesus away. Now. Here's an interesting contrast. In the middle of this moment of tension, everybody's going, is it it me, is it me? Then all of a sudden, the subject of priorities comes rushing in again. Ambition rears its ugly head, verse 24. There was also a rivalry among them. Now, we've seen this over and over again. Which of them should be considered the greatest? Now, these guys are constantly jockeying for position. We've seen it over, last time they did it, they were talking behind them, behind Jesus, and Jesus turned around and said, what are you guys talking about? They looked down, oh, nothing. <laughs> hmm. Matthew 9, 34, but they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Matthew 20:20. they're still thinking there's a kingdom coming, that they're gonna have the chief seat soon. Zebedee's mother comes, uh, James and John's mother, And Jesus said, what do you wish? And she says, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left. I need to get them a position, Jesus. You're going to be the king. You need a right-hand man. They're good boys, I'm telling you. (laughs) Luke 9, 46. An argument started among disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. I mean, over and over again, we get the picture of these guys trying to push themselves to the front. Somebody notice me. I need to be up in front. So Jesus is going to lay the final wet blanket over this ambition here in verse 25 he said to them the kings of the gentiles exercise lordship they want to be over people and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors now That may not sound too bad, but when you take it apart, the Ptolemy, the king in Egypt, called himself Ptolemy the Benefactor. Everything that you have that's a benefit to you came from me, that's what he's saying. Humble guy that he was. So Jesus said they saw themselves as being over everyone and they gave themselves titles of greatness.
0: That's Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. We're in Luke 22 today. And we left off at verse 26.
1: Verse 26. On the contrary, he was greatest among you. Let him be as the younger, as the younger. Now, I had two younger brothers. I understand this phrase really well. Little brothers are for torturing. That's what you do to them. I think that's why my brothers still don't talk to me after all these years. There's something bitterness going on there, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, you'd always make him the little one, it's his fault, you know, if somebody's in trouble. No, no, Mikey did it, that kind of a thing. Uh, you're always making him go get you stuff, uh, go clean off the table, bring me a glass of water, you stretch his ear around his head and touch the other ear with it, things like that. But Jesus is saying you're to be like the youngest person in the family who gets stuck with all the bad jobs. He who governs us, he who serves. He's called us to be servants. Now, I keep encouraging you to look at the doorway as you come in because all the doors, there's a little sign over the top. As you go out, it says you're entering the mission field. But on the way in, it says servant's entrance. That's not for you to walk up, look at and go, well, that's not for me. (laughs) It's for you to go, oh, yeah, I remember. I look at it. When I walk in, I go, I'm here to serve. That's why we're here, to serve each other. That's what the communion table was about. We talked about it, that in fact, you come and you break bread together. And all ground is level at the table and at the cross. So Jesus is speaking to them about their attitude. The characteristics of a true leader are that they avoid titles, number one. And number two, that they accept lowly tasks. They don't have a problem with that. Verse 27 For who is greater? Jesus gives them an example. When you're sitting in the restaurant, is it he who sits at the table or he who serves? You bring me bacon and eggs, eggs over medium, not too hard. Like the bacon crisp, but not too hard. Like chilled period water, 34 degrees. And we have these orders that we give to the waitress. By the way, someone said you can tell the character of a person by how they treat the waitress. All the waitresses said, "Amen." How's our attitude? Jesus is saying, "I'm serving right now." What's he talking about? Well, over in John, he had gotten up, put a towel around his waist, and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, that's not quite as powerful for us as it was for them, because you know you're living in Israel, dusty road, you wearing sandals. It's a day like today outside; it's hot. You come in. And the lowest servant would greet you at the door, take your sandals off, and put cool water on your feet. Wash them off, and you'd feel great. Put your sandals neatly on the side, and you'd go and you'd sit down for the meal with clean feet. Well, that was great for you, not so great for the guy who has to look at those gnarly feet of yours. (laughs) Athlete's foot, I mean, think of it. Jesus is serving them by washing their feet. The creator of the universe is kneeling down in front of them and washing their feet. Wow. There's a book by Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. I don't necessarily recommend it to you. It's a good book, but it hurts (laughs) when you read it. Here's his description of God-centered service versus self-centered service. Self-centered service is concerned with oppressive gains and results. Enjoy serving when results are immediate, visible and large. Self-centered service requires external rewards, appreciation, attaboys, applause. Self-centered service is affected by feelings, becomes disillusioned when results fall below expectations. But God-centered service doesn't distinguish between small and great tasks. The small service is as important as the large. God-centered service rests content in hiddenness. It delights to simply have been of service. God-centered service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need, is free of the need to calculate results. Is that as painful to you as it is to me? That we're to give and not care whether it's looking, whether it's a big job or a small job, whether it's up in front or in the back. God has called us to serve each other. Because he did, that's the kingdom of God, verse 28. But you, and Jesus gives them a compliment. Their faithfulness, those you have continued with me in my trials, you've been here all the way through. Many had left by this time, he'd said some difficult things. He said, you guys are here, Judas is gone. Verse 29, I bestow upon you a kingdom. Just as my father bestowed one also on me, literally says I give you the privilege to come to my table. A little clearer in the Living Bible. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right that you may eat, verse 30, and drink at my table in my kingdom. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb that we've talked about recently. We're gonna sit down at a table, gonna be a big table, with all those who have gone before us, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, family members, friends of yours that walk with the Lord, get to sit down and enjoy a meal together. It's gonna go on and on and on. Meaning you can eat as much as you want and there's no calories involved. Eat and drink at my table. Sit on the thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There's judging going, I don't know entirely what this means. Paul spoke of it to the Corinthians this way, 1 Corinthians 6, 2. They're taking people to court He's saying that's not what you should do. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? and if the world will be judged by you are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters that you have to go to someone else do you not know that we shall judge angels i don't know does that mean the angels that have fallen Uh, i think it might be our guardian angels you know the ones that are watching out for us you know where were you that time when that car you know you'll know my guardian angels got broken wings it's all torn up lots of cuts and bruises trying to keep me out of trouble The Lord said, now Jesus turns to Simon. Evidently, Peter has been the guy leading the charge about who's the greatest. And he's out in front, so Jesus singles him out. Peter's got his foot in his mouth, as usual. Only he doesn't call him by the name that Jesus has given him. He calls him by the name his parents gave him. Simon, it means sand, little pebbles, (laughs) big pebbles mountain of a man called Pebbles. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Asked is too polite, it says he demanded of you. He went to God and asked that he could have you, like Job, we have that little picture from Job in the Old Testament of the throne room of God, the control room central, and Satan shows up, God says, what are you doing? He says, well, I've been walking around the earth. Good, I hope he got tired. And he says, well, have you thought of Job? Have you considered my servant Job? And he says, you know what? You let me have a shot at him, and he'll fold like a cheap lawn chair. Come on. And so God says, okay, but don't kill him. Well, that's what Satan has asked for Peter. Now, it's not just Peter. He wants all of them. He wants to take a shot at each and every one of them. Now, what's in the name? By saying Peter, Jesus uses the word for rock, Cephas, strong, foundation, unmovable. He's pointing that Peter is not being strong at this moment. It's not what he wants him to be. So Jesus is prodding Peter here a little bit, uses his old name, uses it twice, Simon, Simon. You're talking about greatness? Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as we wow okay this word is unusual in the new testament this is the only place it appears so we're not exactly sure about the word it comes from a root word that means a riddle something that's difficult to separate and understand but we know it in cooking with weed those of you that are old enough, or maybe your grandmother still does some baking, nobody bakes anymore, right? But grandma, I remember, used to pour the flour in a little, like a tin can. It had a handle on the side with two whips, and there was a screen in the bottom. Any with me? I got blank looks everywhere I'm looking here. And, uh, and she would crank it, and it would just sieve the flour through, and hard pieces of flour or rocks or sticks or whatever else, worse bugs, would stay on the screen, and that is a little bit of what this word is talking about, but for them in the first century, it was the whole winnowing process, separating the grain, the raw grain, from the, the stock and the husk and, and the straw sort of a thing. So they would begin, when we were in Turkey a, a few weeks ago, we saw this. They, they were still using these. It's called a threshing sled. Uh, the Roman word is tribulum. It's where we get the word tribulation from, because the guy would stand on it, and that's grain that has been cut down, and the oxen would pull it around it, and this board would ride over. He'd ride it like a sled. Well, on the bottom of this sled, they had put in uh, little flakes of of rock driven into. The the base of it, so these rocks would would crush and break up the husks separate the, the kernel from the other parts. So this is all part of this sifting that he's talking about with Peter. But that applies to your life and mine too. The process is separation. Now, Satan doesn't mean it for good. Satan means it for evil, like Joseph in the Old Testament, his brothers. He said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. So Satan wants us separating from God, but God is going to use this sifting process in his life and in yours and in mine to remove the sticks and the stones and the ugly things, the hard spots from our life, so that he can use us. This sifting process is not fun. <laughs> I don't like it, <laughs> but it's necessary. Some of you are right in the middle of it right now. God sifts us all. It's part of coming into his kingdom. Jesus saw what Peter could become, so he says, go for it. And he is going to be sifted, separated from bad things. So it's a good thing for him. It's hard on Peter, but it will end up bringing him to be useful to God. Look at verse 32. But I have prayed for you. Oh, good. God, you've prayed for me, Satan wants to sift me, and you said, no way. Now, (laughs) I would like Jesus to pray for me too and say, okay, no more sifting in your life, it's all good. No, I prayed for you, Peter, it's already done, it's already been established that your faith should not fail, it's not going to fail, you're going to get through this. But when you have returned to me, here's a word of grace, this is mercy. You're gonna blow it, Peter. You're gonna make a fool of yourself. You're gonna be beat up, but when you return, when you come back, this is a great word. This is one of the most encouraging sentences to me in the New Testament. It's talking about God foreseeing things that are going to happen to you and me, our failures, and him still looking forward To us returning to Him coming back. What an encouraging
0: word that we can come back to the Lord after we fail, and God will welcome us with open arms. You're listening to Grow in Grace with our pastor and Bible teacher, Ed Ray. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org, and that's a great place to go and hear this program again. That's thepackinghouse.org. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Gene Edwards called the Tale of Three Kings. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. And if you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. And again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount. You can reach us at 844 844- 77 grace that's 844 77 grace and even if you're not in a position to be able to give we still want to hear from you your email would be a great encouragement to pastor ed this lets us know where grow in grace is having an impact by god's grace our email address is packinghouse radio at aol.com that's packinghouse radio at aol.com and then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke. This program is brought to you by House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion now build with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick Ill, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, Love and harmony I said let this world know me by your love